Hello, hello, everyone. My name is John Edwards. With me, as always, is Zeke Baker, and together we make the Dad's Drinking Bourbon. Say hello to the folks, Zeke. Aloha. Oh, it's back. Everybody missed it. Well, it happens. You're on Aloha time again. We are going to have an Aloha pick. At some point, we will pick a barrel, and we will call it Zeke's Aloha. I'll try to find that picture of me and the fish in Hawaii when I was about four. It's bigger, I, it's bigger than I am, but I'm holding it up, and I suppose that I just completely obliterated the head of it with like a big piece of wood with a big nail, and it just went to town. You, you need... <laughs> You sound so down right now. We have some awesome people in the studio with us. And you're like, I have this club and I got it. And I have a picture somewhere and I'll find it. But we have some amazing people with us. Returning guests. I mean, it's been about six months since you were on before. It's great to have you back. Heath Clark from H. Clark Distillery. Thanks for having me. Zeke's energy certainly dropped when we started doing this. I'm not sure what happened. He went to a dark place. He had a lot (laughs) more energy before we got on. And then we also have uh, Chip, the the owner of Craft Brood, and then also Hunter, who is at Craft Brood with him. Thank you guys for joining. We got some big news tonight over uh, some things that that you guys are doing with Heath, so we're going to talk about that a little bit, but welcome to the studio. This is your first time here, hopefully not your last. Yeah, thanks for having us. So what you been up to, Heath? It's been a while. I've just been lollygagging. You know, it's hard work lollygagging. You know, just uh, killing time, waiting for the whiskey to age. This is something, somebody wants to know, what is your method of aging your whiskey. I've, I've heard about this. Like, do you just throw rocks at it? Do you just like sit and look at it? We'll just go shake them every now and then see what's going on. Make sure the whiskey hadn't leaked out. The, the honest truth is how we manage the aging process with our barrels is, is really something that there's a lot more art to it than, than I certainly thought going in. You know, it's not just fill them up, leave them alone, because you've, you've got to know what that particular barrel is doing to know when to harvest it. And so the, the barrels are growing up in the, up in storage uh, at different rates and different flavor profiles, and uh, they get ready at different times. And so it, it's an active process that's much more complicated than I really appreciated going in. And it's going to be fun talking about these two store picks because these are barrels that were filled at about the same time and set right next to each other. And they're completely different. And so it's, it's pretty cool to, to taste and see how that works. Um, and as we mature as a distillery and how we figure out what to do with that, I think is going to be a fun journey to take. You three might as well tell all of us what's going on because we've been sipping on <clears throat> these two bottles. And you have some news, Heath, about some releases that you have going on at, at your distillery now. And then Chip and Hunter, you have some news as to some releases that you have going on at Craft Brood. So should we flip a coin? Which one of you wants to go first? The fortunate thing for us is is we, we sort of had to make a change with how we were approaching our bourbon. So we had done exclusive, exclusively single barrels for the last year or so. And, you know, the way we've sort of managed our startup is... And you know, with the ethic of we only sell stuff we, we make, you know, we don't outsource or, or private label. And so our first, you know, really four years of production was a, a balancing act of bourbon placed in, you know, 25 gallon or 30 gallon barrels and bourbon aged in 53 gallon casks. And so for the last year or so, we've been selling 
short barrel whiskey that's you know around two years old and as we we've, we've gotten pretty lucky and that the single barrels have all been pretty good um, really spicy a, a really fun flavor flavor profile but as sort of sales have picked up uh, my fear was that our luck would run out and so um, so we sort of do in a Solera method uh, blend sort of a small batch bourbon that that's out in the market now is really smooth and balanced and so it's let us be more particular with what we want to do with our store pick our single barrel for, uh, for example where we can select a flavor profile that, that we like and then we really wanted to open up single barrels that are available uh, you know places other than the distillery to store picks only so you know going forward the only way to get single barrel is going to be through a store pick i started talking to chip a, a couple months ago and uh, he's like, well, I'd, I'd be interested in doing a, a barrel pick. And I'm like, well, don't say if you don't mean it. And so uh, <laughs> we took Chip up into the distillery, the aging attic up above our, our uh, facility, which is just awful. It's just hot. It's a great place to age whiskey, but it's a terrible place to hang out. And we tasted uh, several barrels. We all lost about 20 pounds. So you're and, telling uh, me I have to go up there. Anytime you need to come down, we're, we're, we're available for you. You can you know, breathe fumes and taste barrels. If we hang him feet first, there's going to be a nice drip off that bald head. But for, <laughs> for us, you know, as we sort of make this transition with uh, uh, what we're doing as a distillery as we get older, it was really an honor for Craft Brew to really take the plunge with us because we hadn't done it before. I didn't really know how this worked. Craft Brew has an exceptional reputation in the market as a place to get exceptional store pick barrels. To have a uh, uh, chip and hunter, you know, take a swing at the barrels in the attic is, uh, you know, a little bit intimidating because you know they're going to be honest with you. You know, while I think the stuff up there is pretty good, um, you never really know till you till you test it. And so uh, we turned them loose, and we've got a couple to show for it. Talking about that small batch, mm-hmm. that is typically would we would see your bourbon on the market at eighty bucks. That's mm-hmm. not where the small batch is, right? No, it's at uh, around sixty, fifty nine, ninety nine, give or take. You know, people price it differently, but that's sort of the target. So a little uh, more approachable. At the same time, it's it's easier for us to process and get into the bottle and so we don't personalize each bottle and so they're the same whiskey on the front end we do we do treat it a little differently on the packaging side you all were six months ago and for people listening to us that are kind of following along with the path of a an upstart distillery that is now multiple years in but i mean you're going from a place where if you think about like I said, six months ago, you said, if I could sell half a barrel, I'm good. You That's know, right. If I could sell half a barrel a week, I'm good. And now you're at a point where you actually have multiple barrels that you can blend together and have some for some store picks. So there has to be some good stuff going on. Um, one of the things I would ask is, are you getting to a point where the attic is getting pretty full? Uh, so the attic is, is, is pretty full. We're actually going to start. We do store offsite. You know, one of the other uh, distillers in, in the state has been generous enough to let us store a lot of our large barrels with, with, with their shop over the years. We're developing our own storage facility. And so we've got our federal application submitted. Through the Tennessee Distillers Guild, we're able to liberalize some laws in the state of Tennessee that would preclude me from a, you know, storing whiskey beyond the county of manufacture or the adjacent counties. 
And so, you know, my family farms down uh, in near Tullahoma and Lynchburg. And so we're going to be uh, storing some whiskey on the family farm, which is pretty cool. <laughs> um, being able to have storage that I can manipulate is going to be interesting. And so it's going to really change, in my mind, how active we age the whiskey. So we're going to use uh, uh, some different storage methods. And so we're going to have some storage facilities that are going to be really dark in color and some that are going to be lighter in color. And uh, we're going to do some experimenting. Like what happens if we just cook this whiskey, put it, get it in a black facility, then just roast it? And we're going to have some that's going to be you know, lighter in color, so it's not going to be as hot. Um, we're certainly going to age our malt whiskey in a lighter, you know, toned uh, um, storage facility, but we're just going to see what happens. You know, I think uh, for me, the, the art in this is always about continue to create, continue to push the envelope, continue to learn. As much as I've worked on you know, the distilling process, you know, the aging process is one that is still just opening up to me, and it's it's there's a lot to learn still. You know, as I go back to what we were talking about before about how you would learn things about your rye as one bursted open, and yeah. then you found out something like, oh, hey, maybe we should change the way we're aging this right now. Those experimental ones. Could I potentially see, and I'm putting you on the spot here, so by all means, tell me to shut up, but are there different release types that may come out? Yeah, we're going to we're gonna start doing that. And it's, it's also born of necessity a little bit. So, you know, we don't produce a lot. We make about a barrel a week. Just to put that in context, you know, the, the folks at Jack Daniels, you know, those guys lay down about 2,400 barrels every day. And so there's just a huge gap in scale. And for me, I don't pretend to know everything uh, about the aging process or how to distill in companies that have been around for 100 years or 200 years or 50 years. You know, they've got a lot more just embedded institutional knowledge. But what I've got is curiosity, the willingness to, to push the envelope on methodology. And we've really got the luxury of being able to try this because our scale demands it. And so if for us, my learning curve is an experimental barrel, that's great. We'll see what happens. The cool thing that, that I hope happens with Middle Tennessee area is that folks who enjoyed our products and have gotten to sort of watch the, you know, our distillery grow get to take that journey with us. I have two things to say to you. Uh, first, Zeke and I are happy to be guinea pigs and test out anything with you. So first off, we just want to volunteer ourselves. Sure. Second, I would. Just I can say, just promise you won't go blind. No, right. that's okay. It's happened before. <laughs> My left eye, left eye, used to go out plenty of times in pharmacy school, about every Friday through Sunday. A little twitchy. No, the second thing I would just say, hey. My friends call me Whiskers because I'm curious <laughs> like a cat. Hi, like a cat. And on that note, we'll come back to you. All right, excellent. We we've been. Keeping Chip and Hunter here for 15 minutes, very patiently. Thank you for, for waiting patiently. But in his maturity, what do you, what do you still like, uh, Would you eat the moon if it was made of barbecue spare ribs? It's <laughs> not <laughs> thinking about that damn skin. If the moon was made of cheese, would you eat it? I know I would. I'd wash it down with a nice cool Popeye's. I'd be a hot dog. Hey, if you were a hot dog, would you eat yourself? I know I would. So Chip Hunter, because of this, right, we've heard everything Heath is doing. 
we've heard the small batch, but we've also heard the single barrels. And you guys, I guess, are the guinea pigs of what is coming up in the single barrel. So tell us a little bit about how this all came about. I mean, you guys are the first. Yeah, so I was dealing with the distillery a couple of months ago. And believe it or not, I actually had my first experience in the whiskey attic. Travis was up there, their distiller, or Heath's distiller. So I just shimmied up the stairs and uh, Travis was in there tasting some barrels. I was like, well, I'm here, let's taste. So I tasted three or four of them and not that I had any doubt, but I was kind of blown away. This whiskey was amazing. And I texted Hunter, I was like, this is really good. And I texted Heath, I was like, uh, what about these single barrels? Are we gonna be able to do this store pick? And you know, we talked about it on and off over the months and years. And the whiskey's finally to a mature point to where that was a reality. And so we came back, Hunter came back and we tasted some more and he wanted me to prove that I was serious about it. So instead of one barrel, we decided to go with two barrels. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and um, something unique that we're doing uh, with these two barrels is we actually, we've, uh, we've taken two thirds of each uh, barrel, bottled them as single barrels, and then taken the remaining thirds of each barrel, married them into a barrel, aging them as a blend that'll come out sometime in the fall. I guess just whenever it's ready. I'll say whenever it's ready. Are you sitting on it like a hen? Like, is there one? Yeah, so we're there just every day. We, we've Kim, had to Kim's staff there. up. We have somebody there all the time sitting on Kim, the barrel. Kim is sitting on it like a hen. Yeah, we've built a little nest around it. But yeah, the, the I think one of the, one of the coolest, most unique things about single barrels, at least for consumers, and I'll speak as a consumer, something that I've always thought was cool about the uh, the store pick single barrel is it, it kind of gets the experience, the process of, of whiskey making one step closer to the consumer because I think that it's easy to look at distillation as sort of this nebulous, mysterious thing um, when, when you're not you know directly involved and by having customers come in and interact with us every day and having, having those people that you that you see often and you know, not, know by at least face, if not name, in a lot of cases, uh, kind of getting involved on a grassroots level with the with the process, um, kind of personalizes the, uh, the the whiskey for consumers. We've actually, I think Heath and I were standing at the distillery and just kind of on a whim poured what was left in our sample glasses together and like, let's see what this is like, and ended up really really liking the outcome. No, that, I mean that's super interesting. The fact that yeah, they didn't just were, pick the barrels; they came in and. We empty the barrels. We, you know, screen yeah. the barrels. You know, we had some pump problems, and they wrestled with the pump with us. Heath and I went and ate barbecue. We went and got some barbecue. Well, everybody else dealt with more problems. <laughs> well, that's a hundred percent. While Travis fixed and wrestled with <laughs> yeah, the pump, yeah. <laughs> it, it sounds like there's a difference between management. We and, brought uh, back barbecue. It was good. I did eat a barbecue sandwich on the house that day, so I can't complain too much. Well, not it, was, well, it, was, it was the best damn oh, barbecue I've had. In a is, is that is that more indicative of the the size and scale of your operation that the stores have to jump in and work? I like think that's right. There's some sweat equity. Well, here you know the the uh, the reality was I've seen how you know Chip and Hunter run their their store. They're hands on. So I really want to welcome people into the process. I, you know, is 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 open. I thought we just wanted to haze them. Yeah, it was. Like, hot. I thought it was haze. No, it's not fun. This so, all took place in the attic. It was 115 <laughs> degrees, and it's tough. You know, it, it's distilling. It's hard work. It's it's hot. It's he dirty. Had a whip. 
Um, <laughs> we won't talk about that. So, That's another thing we can't talk about on the podcast. Just carrying hoses around. He was whipping me. Spray you down if you didn't move fast enough. We had Very hot water cold. You ever see that movie, Officer and a Gentleman? Yeah. That was just, he, he just had a hose on Hunter. <laughs> but they bottled this stuff, too. And so... Uh, so it was like whiskey pool. camp. I yeah, mean, a little you could, bit, yeah. You could, go take the, a, yeah. you could go pick a bottle some other place, but not have... It, it's as much of an experience for you guys as it is for us, the consumer, going in and getting a barrel you picked. I mean, you guys are getting that privilege of actually immersing yourself in the life of a, a distillery that you might not get at a... A big box distillery, so to speak. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I think privilege is, is the right word for that. I, you know, we've done, I myself uh, have done, and Chip also, uh, many of them together, uh, done a lot of barrel picks, and I, we, at least I have never gotten this involved with the, not only the picking, but the packaging. And well, there's that one time before Roses where they just, Gave us the keys to the warehouse. Oh <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we just walked go. in, rolled <laughs> rolled barrels off of the second story of uh, Rick's. Mandy's good like that. She'll, she'll yeah, say just but, take the keys. Back yeah, my truck up. I, I don't. I don't <laughs> like not doing things. So it, it's it's good to be able to get in on a. Um, I think too, you get a, just a greater appreciation. Obviously, we've seen yeah, a lot. That's where I'm going. With that. How they operate on a day to day basis, but. Sometimes you just got to jump in and experience it for yourself. And well, yeah, again, that it. translates to, to the, again, what Hunter was saying earlier, to the customers. You know, we physically touched every bottle, each barrel. Uh, so, you know, it well, just kind of adds to the, of the blend as well. I mean, essentially, uh, you bought the barrel, so buy the ticket, take the ride, have a little fun here, and see what else comes out of this as far as blending the two. Uh, so, with the blend, is that going into a new barrel or one of the two used barrels? It's currently in barrel, uh, you know, alt six. Um, so the the two barrels that were picked were, uh, you know, double oh six and oh uh, eleven, and those are just the number of barrels that were produced back in two thousand sixteen. And so um, I'll leave the flavor profile discussions to you guys, but we we're going to put them in both barrels okay. before we we bottle, and so we're gonna, they're going to spend at least a month in each barrel and see what happens i just think that's cool because it really was a whim because you know you know hunter had sort of written down his his choice and chip had been in the day before or a couple of days before and had tasted and, and they didn't know which the other had picked and i pretended not to know uh while they were going through it and so we had sort of wrapped up and you know we literally had just a couple sips left and, and threw them together and it was one of those wow moments of, <laughs> oh my gosh, where the, the sum is greater than the parts um, sometimes. And these are really good on their own. And so I don't know, I really don't know how long they're going to stay in the barrels. Uh, we'll see. So we've got June, July, August. Those are sort of your sweet spot months. Mm. And so in my mind, you know, we're just going to spend the next six weeks in the barrel. And then in the middle of July, we'll transfer it out and it'll ride that out till September. And then we'll start... Um, you know, winding down the barrel. By the time you get to the end of September, it cools off quite a bit. Yeah. Um, Hopefully, anyway. Oh, geez, <laughs> you know, so the irony is, you know, this whiskey's going to have three summers on it. It'll still be just a little over two years old. From an age statement standpoint, it stopped 
a couple uh, last week when mm-hmm. we pulled the barrels. That's when they stopped aging from a bourbon standpoint. Yeah, because the the mingled barrel, you know, half of that mingled whiskey is now in a used cooperage. So, you know, you can it's finishing it again, but the bourbon barrel age statement stops when you when we emptied the barrels a couple of weeks ago. And so, uh, while this whiskey is going to really have three summers on it, which is going to push it some more, um, you know, it won't. It'll have the same age statement as it does today gotcha and, and actually something i written down earlier on how often are you jumping in the barrels and tasting them as uh, as they're aging um when we first started i was in a barrel once a week nice. you know just because it was a you know, blank slate like what is this stuff so did you have anything left to actually sell anyone <laughs> by the time you're done that's barrel one you've got some of it babe uh, we've got four barrels and they're all empty uh, damn son got the best of them <laughs> That angel share is really <laughs> Angels are greedy. Now, you know, uh, I'm tasting less often, but I'm still building that palate. So it's, you know, how, what are the older barrels doing? How are they progressing? And then just confirming what the younger barrels are doing. Are they progressing at the same rate? And they're, they're holding pretty true. There's some bounce in how fast the younger barrels start turning. So in my experience, you know, most of the barrels, they get color really quickly. So you can have super dark whiskey in a month and a half, six weeks. I mean, as dark as anything on the shelf, but it's going to taste like moonshine for about nine (laughs) months. So you really don't turn the corner on a flavor. It stops tasting like moonshine about five or six months, uh, but it starts developing character really within that first year. And so after that first year, you're just seeing how deep can we get that? So the, the barrel's character is set really early, but it's depth. And so that's the variable. They don't always get as deep. You know, some of them stay fairly shallow in mm-hmm. terms of flavor profile, yeah. but some of them really get deep and, you know, complex, but they're sort of hatched pretty early. Yeah, I mean, both these are, are pretty dark, almost uh, like 3D envision of some weird barrel that just got supercharged and some of the char hung down like a, which one hangs down? Stalactite, stalagmite. Either way, whichever one hangs down, you see it like lingering down in the juice and just like leaching off uh, extra char and color. They're it's definitely dark. pretty rich looking. <laughs> it's a like, dark barrel. It's like maple syrup. Like I, said, I don't, I don't, I mean, which, I don't do know which one hangs down. Special? I mean, is this dark? No. This is a number three char barrel. Um, barrel mill is our cooperage that where these held. Um, nothing. Nothing. They just sat up there and so it's that Hooked. attic. That attic is where the magic happens. It's, yeah, it's hot up there. It so didn't sneak any pine in there. It's not tar leaching out, is it? We put a little just some tobacco <laughs> juice. <laughs> Big plug of red man, really darkened the up. <laughs> I, I don't think you were allowed to do that after uh, after the, the bottle and bond act discouraged that. But you know what are we gonna do? <laughs> it's like in, in in the Hangover when he goes, "Oh no, that's just frowned upon." <laughs> I want to talk about you guys over at Craft Group for a second because you guys are really focusing on whiskey picks as well and getting that stuff in there. I mean, I know I have some of your uh, Bell Mead from last year. You have an OBSV that we we were able to have that's really good. You have another Four Roses pick that's coming in on Friday. So a lot of good picks coming out of, of your neck of the woods. 
what are you guys looking for? And that's something that we constantly ask different stores as we're honing in our palates. We know our listeners are honing in their palates. We're primarily a whiskey tasting and, and review show. So what are you looking for when you go ahead and, and taste a barrel? You're looking for a couple things, or at least we are. I think that from a whiskey geek standpoint, you want to look for something that's complex. You want to look for something that's interesting and unique. Um, maybe something that doesn't quite taste like anything you've had before, because that is kind of the beauty of single barrel. You know, you, just, you get something that has its own personality and its own identity, but but also you have to accept that you know being a retailer, not everyone who walks in looking for whiskey is is a you know is a is a whiskey geek, and so you you, you want a good balance of something that will appeal to a wide range of whiskey drinkers and something that is also. Uh, unique and interesting, and I think that's a, a huge part of where we kind of found our success with barrel picks. Is I think that you can you can hop on board regardless of whether you're a whiskey novice or or you know an experienced whiskey drinker and probably find something to like about them. But you know it's it's kind of like uh, you know kids cartoons where you know you can <laughs> uh, you want, always want to throw some some jokes for the for the parents in there. So it's it's kind of just a matter of like you can. Enjoy it for its for its straightforward flavors as much as you can. Its subtleties and nuance. It's just kind of like, yeah, yeah, it's a balance. It's a balancing act. But are you looking more for taste? Are you looking for mouthfeel? Are you looking for overall experiences? Are you looking for creamy? Or are you looking for spicy? I mean, I know you said complex, but what are the characteristics that you're honing in on? Is it more? You know, creamy versus spicy doesn't really matter. It's just something that's complex and, and you're pretty sold. Or is, is there a specific uh, palate or, or taste or nose that you uh, tend to gravitate towards more? Sure. Oh, well, first I'd like to say anytime we've ever done a barrel pick, we always taste them as a staff and even if whoever else is involved in the process, you know, sometimes we'll bring our customers in with us and we always taste them privately or blindly. And then, you know, we throw it out there. What's your pick? What's your pick? What's your pick? And, you know, we always generally come to it. We don't, that doesn't make sense. We always generally, uh, we always come to a consensus, but it's always, what are our customers going to like? We're not necessarily thinking what our personal palate wants, but, as we develop as a store, we know our customers, we know who likes what, and you can't generalize, but you have to generalize and say, this best represents the people who shop there. Yeah, no, I, I think, I think I, I completely agree with that. I think that what I prefer as an individual is really one of the least important things about the barrel picking so much as what, what I think other people will enjoy because... But I care. Well, yeah. I mean, I mean, what what do you like? So, if you're asking me what I like, honestly, yeah, I just yeah. like something. I just like some. I just like interesting things. I don't know. I like I like a wide variety of things. I mean, it. it I'm a very. If I'm looking at it from a beer perspective, because we are a beer store, and I know this is a whiskey podcast, but I'm a very seasonal drinker, uh, in, with regards to everything really, but beer especially. And I think that my I don't want to say my palate is fickle, but it. It has it experiences pretty intense mood swings. I, I I like different things at different times. Depends on what I've eaten that day. You know, I don't know. I, no, I mean, there, there are I, a lot of variables. I guess all I'm saying is that I think that like what I look for in whiskey as a consumer is 
a balance of complexity and approachability because I mean I, I like a I like a good you know kind of stoic sipper as much as anybody but I mean when it comes down to it, it's like I I I like to drink whiskey also so you know I, I think I think the balance it's really all about balance I think a, a good balance of something that is that is complex and interesting as well as approachable and drinkable is an important thing to me I, personally as a drinker and I think that that probably yeah, probably bleeds into the selection process a little bit it's funny that balance is such a broad but loose term but it's it's a balance of what you like what you think people like yeah and then there's that you know third degree factor of I was just in a mood that day and when we were there when we tasted it mm-hmm. this happened or that happened and man like that blew my socks off tomorrow it might not but in that specific moment like yeah that was a really good just flavor profile and I just got into it and that's where we went to speak on that, I just think that's the, the fun of the picks and, you know, where you go with things. And granted, we don't have to deal with that. It's just, you know, we don't own a store, but I can imagine it's tough to sit there and say, well, this is what I like. But at the same time, is it what the mass is like? Is it where I am in a moment? Is it where I am in the day? Am I gonna, we, we've turned that over a few times am, in these conversations. Am I going to try to buy and or sell what I think people like, what I think I like, some happy medium? At this point, we've at least done a few picks and can understand the complexity of that one was amazing, but for the product and or the proof or when I put it on the shelf, these other ones that came in second, third, or fourth might be a better seller. Where do I go with this? Yeah, I don't think we ever really look at it from a, what's going to be the better seller mm-hmm. because I feel like if we've done our job of picking the right barrel regardless of if it's our taste or somebody else's taste, it's going to sell. It'll find its audience. I agree with that. I, I do think that like people trust our palates and generally I think that the, the type of consumer that is buying a, a barrel pick whiskey to begin with is probably interested in something new, something different. And so, yeah, I think I agree with that. I think it, it, it kind of finds its own audience. You know, um, I see that side of, I guess orbit. it's probably more of a, um, not a point of sale, but a point of interaction. Like somebody comes in the store yeah. Then you catch him on the front end. Well, mm-hmm. what are you looking for? Don't just meander and grab something randomly. Like, yeah. I may have told the two people that you saw me help ahead of them, like, based on what you said, I think this is amazing for you. But then I'm going to talk to you. No, no, if you don't do cash strength, you're not in this profile or this range of taste, let me put you in a different direction. Yeah, I told those other two guys that was probably the best thing that I had in store for them. It's probably not your cup of tea. Yeah, when it comes down to it, you know, flavor and taste is all subjective, right? So, I mean, while everyone would like to argue that there there are, you know, thresholds and ceilings to that, like there are things that are bad and there are things that are great, those things are never entirely objective. Um, but, I mean, if you have celiac, a wheat is hotter to you than a rye. Sure. Yeah, and, and everybody's palate is going to be a little bit different, but I have to agree with you. A hundred percent, Hunter, when, when you were saying that, I go into, I'm very fickle as well. Yeah. And and I almost think it comes down to the mood and you pair your whiskey with the mood that you're in. Like Midwinter's Night's Dram, I think it's a great whiskey, but I'm pretty much only going to have it one week out of the year. And it's leading right up until Christmas, till yeah. a couple days after Christmas, and I have a bottle and it sits in the cabinet for that time to come out. I think uh, there are, Zeke is really big on this one, but there are ryes that 
our summer rise and winter rise and those are gonna taste differently to you in the summer opposed to the winter and, and there are some that you want to just sip on by a fire and there's some that you don't mind having out on the deck when it's 90 degrees out so I think your whiskey and and with all these offerings that we do have now there are so many I mean look at four roses there are so many different recipes of four roses depending on where it's aged or the warehouse it's in or the season it went through they're all going to taste a little bit different but some are really good for the winter some are really good for the summer some makes you feel like a fall day um so as we're finding all of these different releases i'm sure it's something heath is going to come back and tell us that hey i was messing around in the barn <laughs> and <laughs> this one really tastes like a fall whiskey to me opposed to a, a spring whiskey so i'm i'm gonna hold i might bottle this up but it's something that may serve us better in the fall than it would in the spring. And you that's know, something that you might learn. When you said that, I thought about, you know, so we, we did our rye first release um, um, earlier this year, and it was definitely sort of a wintertime rye. It was thick, you know, it was dark uh, so flavor. So much peanut brittle. A lot of peanut brittle. Uh, it just really fit that time of year. Uh, the one behind it, you know, we did some little different stuff in our fermentation. We tried some different grain blends, you know, 100% rye, but different types of malt, different, you know, some unmalted rye. And, uh, you know, the whiskey that came off the still there is very green apple in flavor. Um, and man, it's going to be a summertime rye. You know, I don't know when we release it, but when you said that, that's the thing I thought about. I was like, that's absolutely our second round of, of rye is, is summer, you know, because it's so, yeah, I think so many of them literally, it, it somebody recognizing that flavor profile uh-huh. and putting it out at the right season because you, you put out a heavy just mint warm viscous bomb yeah in the middle of summer it's not gonna work nobody what am I supposed to do with this like put it on the fire you know, oh, using man. the lawnmower or something I mean you, you can't sip it. it not then you're already sweating to death and just burning up it's got to fit the season <laughs> you know so that- is that gonna be like Game of Thrones like even if it's ready Say if it's ready in September, you're just going to hold it off. Absolutely, yeah. I, I, bottle it up. Just keep it in the barn. It's got to be ready. It's got to be you know the timing's got to be right. And so I know this one is is really tart. It's really acidic. Um, it's going to have to be a summertime. And I hadn't really thought about it till you start talking about seasons. But as soon as you said it, like that's absolutely the right answer to that whiskey. Um, you know with. With store picks, one of the things I think as a consumer of whiskey also is that it's like the great democratization of, of whiskey, you know, with with allocations that are out there and some whiskeys that are hard to get and you've got people bidding up the price of all this. Um, store, you know, picks and, and committed retailers that like to just, you know, get up in the business of the distiller like Chip and Hunter, they can find some really cool stuff. And you can get some, I think, fantastic, very limited edition, you know, really unique whiskeys that way. And I think it's great for fickle and, you know, great whiskey. Like store picks are just a fantastic concept all the way around. No, we've, we've always said that and agreed. I mean, yeah. picks are fun. They're the best. There's plenty of allocated whiskey, which allocated is still seemingly put out there to the masses. 
it's available across the country. It's still a uniform product. Mm-hmm. A pick, you know, that's locked into that store. It's that moment. It's that time. There might be some similar, but I mean, for every pick we've had, even if it's the same label, still the same day, set next to each other in a rick, it didn't taste the same. Mm-hmm. It's all just a completely unique entity, and that's the fun part. It is both the rarest and easiest to get whiskey on the market. <laughs> Indeed. You can walk in any That's store funny. and get a pick, but it's going to be one and done. You'll never get it again. Yeah. That's, that, that, that sort of like fleeting ephemeral nature of, of single barrels is one of the, 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 the biggest appeals for me. So, so i got a big question for you, though. Sure. you got to be pappy. <laughs> Get out. <laughs> you, were, you were talking about allocating <laughs> star. What what's the yield on one of these? So one of your one of your single barrels, how many bottles are we talking about here in a yield? Uh so you know these are there's fifty four bottles in each of these picks. So that was two thirds of the barrel at cask strength. And so you know, we would typically get you know, if we if we bottled it at um hundred proof or ninety, you know, you would get um, you know, about 130 bottles per barrel, you know, so we've got a third of it still in the tank and then it's at, you know, a really high proof. And so the yield here is really low from a per bottle standpoint. Um, but these are smaller bar- barrels though, right? They're small barrels. Yeah. They're I mean, short it's, barrels. It's not so an industry standard. No, no, no. These are 20, I can't remember if these are 25 or 30. These are 30s. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, there were thir- uh, some 25 sitting next to them on the floor. In the shop, we yeah. When you guys that. were off uh, eating barbecue, they sure felt like thirties. Oh man! <laughs> um, and so the yield, you and Travis the yield have to lift them up on your own. <laughs> You're hoisting them around. <laughs> yeah, which helps, you know, as a as a small distiller. Um, it also helps on our gain some muscle. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah better, uh, the week. You just did a really good drill bit and uh, <laughs> some some wood or something. Well, you, you get these little dowels, you know, they, you can buy them, you know, so you get a one-eighth drill bit and you can poke in there and whiskey comes out and you have to just, you know, hammer these little, Knock a pin. you know, pin, yeah, basically like little pins, oak pins back in the barrel. A little bung? It's yeah, not a, there's it's a, not a little big poke. Bung. It's a mini bung. It's a mini, it's a mini bung. bung. It's, it's a, a drill hole size, you know. Thin, thin, like a thin, but a spile? Yeah, like a spile. Yeah, I think that's yeah. what it's actually called, isn't it? That is. Yeah. New word of the day. Every day. <laughs> the word of the day is S-P-I-L-E, oh, I assume. Oh. I think that's right. So, that's... Anyways, that's kind of crazy with all the stuff that's going on there. Um, really, really cool to see all of the things that are going on at Craft Brewed as well as you guys move into that whiskey realm and, and being known as a place. For those of you that don't know, I know we've gone 45 minutes in this episode <laughs> and not mentioned it, but Craft Brood is on 8th Avenue in Nashville. If, as you're driving away from downtown, it will be on the left side of your street. If you are coming up from Franklin, it'll be on the right side of your street. It's right next to a little shopping mall in there. There's some new apartments that are across the street. So lots of people are now coming into Craft Brew. So if you want something like their Four Roses pick or you want these HCD picks, you, know, you got to get on it a little bit quicker. It used to be something on 8th Avenue that I think a lot of us just, you know, if you knew about it, you knew about it and you would go there. Now there's a lot of traffic coming through that area of town 
that has to be nothing but good for you guys as well, right? Doesn't hurt. <laughs> well, also, yeah. I mean, it, was a, it was an epic tap room, you know, originally. I'd, yeah. I live, still, a few, I, live, I live a few blocks away and laugh, laughably, the first thought that comes into my mind when I think of craft room is like, oh, great tap room. Scenic view of Sonic. Me and the boys. Well, no, you always have food trucks there. Well, now we do. Yeah, we got a kitchen, kitchen now, yeah. Yeah, their gumbo's legit. Uh, and the women. But no, I mean, it was always like if, if me and my buddies were going to hang out for happy hour. Yeah, we would craft room, get a random flight of beer samplers, pass them around. And then so now it's still kind of like a progression of like, oh, yeah, next door is the, the actual liquor store aspect of things. Yeah. I, I still just kind of see that in my head. It will not surprise you then that the number one thing that I hear day to day is, whoops, wrong side. Because people walk <laughs> into the liquor store, not really realizing what it is. Most of them, I think, think that it's some sort of storage room or something. Because some, te- some people apologize. Some people walk in and say, oh, sorry. Um, and like they've walked into something they weren't supposed to see. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, those of you who might know it as a tap room, heads up, there's also a liquor store. Uh, and those of you who might know it as a liquor store, heads up, there's also a tap room and a kitchen. Um, and all kinds of other things. Yeah, and granted, I think John probably drinks more craft beer than I do because I think I'm about 1% for the year. But um, before, when I do drink it or when I'm there, it's a good time, a good environment. Um, you, you won't be disappointed, I promise. Let's talk about this whiskey. It's been right in front of our face for a little bit. So what we're going to do is... Right in front of my palate, John. I don't know about a face. Zeke, do what you do best. Fast forward that tape. Keep running and running and running and running and running and running and running. What song is that? I don't know. It just came to me. Okay. Vision from God. And we're back. In the break, we did have uh, both of these. We do, Now, we don't have the one that is both of these together. So we had to do that on our own. But we do have both of these single barrels. There is barrel 16-0006. It is 132.6 proof, 66.3 ABV. It laid in the attic for two years and three months. Then we also have barrel 16-0011. It is 126.2 proof, 63.1% ABV. It was in the barrel for two years and two months. These could not be any different and admittedly, I had to go back and have these a few times because we took some pictures. Hmm. Um, my my uh, glasses got mixed up. I'm glad we figured it out. But both of these are just really good. For me, that 126.2 proof is, is just, it's so money. And I got a slight citrus on the nose, a little bit of orange. I would expect it to burn a little bit more at 126 proof. But it was very fresh and inviting. It almost made me feel like I was about to dive into a pool that's the perfect temperature. We we always try to come up with something that is not so like anise or you know things that you would expect from a, a tasting wheel or something, but things that are old factory senses to us. Uh, the taste on this one, I got a slight cinnamon uh, spice on the front. But it leaves quick, which gave way to some citrus and vanilla on the taste. But the finish, it's all smack your lips peanut brittle for me. And it was that finish. I I love that characteristic. It's something I get on HCD a lot. 
that peanut brittle that would just, it's almost like the nose is very inviting to you. If I were to sum it up, nose says, hey, you're going to enjoy this. Taste says, hey, I'm going to slap you in the face just to wake you up as soon as you have it. And then I'm going to let that smoothness come through. And then I'm going to give you some peanut brittle at the end. I'm going to smack your lips and make you make you want to come back for more. That's what I got on that one. Zeke, what about you? What did you get on that? So uh, 126.2 <clears throat> nose-wise, it had some warmth to it. Uh, not offending, especially if you go into it knowing it's cash strength. But, you know, definitely uh, gives a little bit of punch and taste. It tells you it's there. I have a note that says bronze. I, I put it down from time to time. I don't know what it means, but I feel like I'm smelling <laughs> bronze. It's got to do something to do with youth and coming off of a still, maybe, but some kind of warm bronze resin. Oh, maybe I was a kid and had pennies in my mouth too much or something. I don't know. This is their copper. Oh. <laughs> maybe that's what I'm, I'm getting then. You might have just uh, solved one of the, my biggest mysteries, but... Somewhere in there, it's like a. Oh, I, I have no words right now. It's like a warm pipe type thing. I don't know. I, I, I've it's got warm, warm pipes pipe. as a kid. Subtle, subtle tones of warm pipe. No, I've just got it as a nose. I don't, I don't know why. But I mean, I've getting off plenty of other things too. I, I just always put down bronze. But honestly, it could be copper. It wouldn't surprise me. Did you taste some copper as a kid? I, I don't know. It, that's just what I go to. It, it's a, the smell I've gotten plenty of times. It's not off-putting. And I can yet to ever put words to what it is I'm, I'm getting, but it's a warm, deep gold, like peach-looking metallic substance. That's bronze is right. Almost butterscotch. I mean, I, again, I, I really can't piece it together, and that's all my brain can end up computing after I sit there and like, all right, what do I want to call this? And I just finally, for lack of fighting my <laughs> mental abilities, say bronze. <laughs> It has nothing to do with like a metal status or anything. Moving on from that, it was somewhere with a a corn cereal with a, a really nice frosted malt just layered over it. it at some point, I almost thought like a Frosted Flakes versus Honey Smacks. <laughs> I think there's a little more corn there than that, so I don't, I don't know. I don't have enough diversity in cereal these days to know what the exact words would be. Beyond that, there was a heavy toast to it. Um, the char is really nicely imparted, especially for a, a younger product, which we talked about the color of it earlier. Um, wh- whatever's going on there for, for that much char to leach in that fast, whether it be at the top of the barn or other reasons of the you know, whatnot in the wood, whatever's going on, it, it's working well. My other thought was it reminded me of Mexican street corn, but it just needed a nice layer of Parmesan on top. literally like if there's parm somewhere in there that's just pure Mexican street corn goodness on the nose had a consistent box that's a Dave Chappelle (laughs) (laughs) consistent warmth Um, corn was present but it wasn't young corn it's not off putting if that makes sense Uh, good viscosity there was some barley toward the back end I felt like overall toward the finish almost Felt like it was uh, somebody took a dark Hershey's chocolate square and put it over a piece of candy corn. That's about where I really got to with it. With a final thought, with it, 
as far as some sweetness, maybe some caramel or something, but not young, off-putting corn and, and just some dark chocolate just swallows it up and then you get those little hints as you chew into it. Well, and it's, it's funny you should mention that because, you know, and I'm not saying this because the man is in the room with us, but we've had a lot of heat stuff over the course. And although it's young, it doesn't have that terrible youngness that it's almost like an astringency sometimes that, that can come through. I mean, there there's the youth and, and you definitely know that it's not a 10-year whiskey from tasting it, but it doesn't, it's not off-putting. It, no. it is a nice... I would say the youth is a compliment, and and I think a lot of this has to do with you know the malted barley notes that he puts in his mash and the, the beer he you know being a a beer connoisseur first and a whiskey connoisseur kind of through that I think that the way that you distill that alcohol puts everything together kind of nicely it's it that citrusy youthy side to it is a a nice complementing component to the maltiness of the whiskey and everything else that's in there and it almost gets that signature peanut brittle but it also allows the whiskey to punch a little bit above its weight and and doesn't make it feel like it is a two-year two-month or two-year three-month and you really feel like you're having something that's full no, of five I mean, years there's old. a little bit of corn that's there, but I mean... No, uh, nothing it, like... Uh, it doesn't need a Tabasco finish. Let, let's talk about barrel 16-0006. It's 132.6 proof, 66.3% ABV. It's aged two years, three months. So this is a little bit hotter and a little bit older. Uh, for this, I got more burn, still citrus there on the nose. The taste, a lot of cinnamon... I got more of a Kentucky hug on this one than I did from that 126 that was so smooth, kind of inviting. Um, I, I got dark chocolate raspberry on the taste. A little bit of, of spiciness there, too. It's almost like uh, the best thing to describe it is the Olive Sinclair chocolate that is in Nashville. And you can get that like cinnamon chili chocolate. Uh, so if I were to think of like a raspberry cinnamon chili, Olive Sinclair, that chocolate, that's what I get out of taste. It was very unique, very good. The finish lingers nicely. I don't get anything different like I did in that 126, where I almost get like a different palette on the finish where it comes through with that peanut brittle. I didn't get as much peanut brittle on this one as I did on the 126. But the 132, I still like. It's still good, and it lingers nicely. What do you get on it, Zeke? Man, I love these shows where I really think we drink just completely opposite products. <clears throat> Bewilders me some days. Hey, it happens. I mean, you said you thought somebody mixed up your glasses. You, you, but I but I checked it. I mean, this is something that we went through, and oh. then I got two new glasses uh, and fixed the glitch. Well, if you're that confident. At any rate. For the uh, the one thirty two six uh, nose wise, obviously it's high proof. There was some alcohol present, but uh, literally it smelled to me like Hershey syrup. I don't know. My kid's really big on chocolate milk right now, and chocolate milk for us is whole milk with a huge splurge of Hershey's. You swirl it up. That's the same smell I get every morning about six o'clock. As I'm really groggy, so I can at least identify that smell pretty well right now. Uh, behind it. 
there was some corn to it, but again, not off-putting. And to me, it was just really prevalent <laughs> Hershey syrup. I don't know. Keep resonating if you mix that somewhere with high-proof alcohol. Uh, Palette-wise, seemed super dark chocolate to me, uh, something like 70% or more. So that's what they sell in the stores. Uh, points, it was almost like a, a really strong black coffee with some toffee mixed in. Um, there was some bitterness to it. Again, I, obviously these are young, so it's not an age-related issue. Uh, I think whatever this wood is, is just really leaching into the juice better than other people's stuff for whatever reason and, and imparting a, a flavor that you wouldn't see it normally at that young of an age. Uh, there is some corn behind it. Um, after that, I really just got kind of a, I don't know, it's hard to fathom. Like you go to fairs and you see everything in the world that's uh, dipped in hot chocolate. I'm like, is this a charred ear of corn dipped in hot chocolate? Like, I don't know. I don't think that exists, but somehow in my mind, that's a... (laughs) (laughs) Somewhere in my mind, I I really pieced that together of like, yeah, if you spit into like some really nice, fresh, decently dark chocolate and there's some corn behind it, that's where you'd be right here, just a toasted ear of corn with the chocolate. Zeke's corn confections. <laughs> Who knows? My, my only other random thought, and I haven't had one in a long time, was maybe a uh, a dark chocolate Cadbury egg, but I'll need to revisit that to confirm. Hey, we both got dark chocolate. John, your notes are way different than mine. What? They said dark chocolate. You said dark chocolate. What about the other it out? 32 words we said? I didn't say 32 words. <laughs> my whole review was under 32 words. <laughs> I will count them up. So, right so now. what did what did you gents get? Obviously, uh, one of us is confused. Well, no, I mean, there's no right or wrong. It's whatever. It's you know, that's everything the hunter was talking about. Do you not listen? <laughs> Obviously, I one listen of us to listens. One of us doesn't listen. One of our notes is right. One of our notes is wrong. And there's five people here. I listen to three of them. You don't listen to yourself. Yeah, keep doing that northern math. I'm just saying, that's four. If you listen to yourself, you listen to four people at the table. I said five. I listened to three. Yes, yeah, so you don't listen to yourself? No, I'm already right. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, one thing I will say is that the other part of this is to put them together and talk about how that's going to be. That is the third aspect of the pick you're doing. What I will say is that I already put it together and I liked it too much and I drank it <laughs> and I didn't stop enough. So what I got on this, it was like almost a, a, a hot cinnamon candy to start, but then that peanut brittle on the finish. So it was mm-hmm. almost what I really liked about putting that one together, at least for me, and only one of us is right, uh, but actually <laughs> in reality, we're both right. I got, it was like that spiciness on the front, peanut brittle on the back. I really, really cannot wait to have the one where you put both of these together because that is super unique and I would love to have more of that. It's good. My thought process, especially as we mentioned earlier, was which barrel does it go into and or both and how long? Because obviously if these came off still at the same date, set next to each other at the same time, there are some similarities, but by all leaps and bounds, these are very different pours. I, I don't have an answer as to which one for how long, both for how long, whatnot. Uh, 
And neither do we yet. Neither does anybody in this table. It's, it's obviously a crapshoot, so I'm glad I don't have to play that game. But but tasting the mix just leads me to wonder which one's the best to sit it in. Do you do both? I think honestly, if I had the ability, I'd probably be so bored I'd split that in half and put them half in each one and see where they were in two months. <laughs> Not a bad. That's, that's just, just me being the uber bored, and if I'm in your shoes, like, well, why not? I've got both barrels. I've got space. I can do this. He only has limited room in the attic. I know. It's not a bad idea, actually. To me, the more bored you get, the more you tinker. It leads to more questions, but at the same time, why not if you can? Well, (laughs) if he has a basement, the problem is he only has an attic, but if he has a basement, anything goes in the basement. (laughs) I was not a feat. Just leave it downstairs. To me, that was my thought. was like, I almost like do it. You know, split that in half, put it in each barrel, and see where it is in a couple of months. Look, just to see where they go. So it's actually pretty goddamn. <laughs> it's like one step further from the initial mm-hmm. idea of splitting and remaking. Just split them now and see what happens. I'll just uh, watch them. Then you get four. You get four <laughs> different. No, well, it's That's still. No, I mean, you can still blend them back. I think it'd just be fun to, to note and for you know for your see own how internal info, like see where the progression is yeah. with each one. I mean, some people debate whether how whiskey change over time is it the yeast may or may not change from who the distiller is and or the ingredients did the grains change are we getting worse wood now and plenty of people all say it, you know that the wood we're getting or what you're putting it in and kind of you know extrapolate into this theory like all right the wood on these yielded two pretty different profiles although be it somewhat yeah, the same. same cooperage so if we blend it and put them in two separate woods what does that yield even in you know a few months but Tennessee heat is what it is oh, it'll, some, it'll some changing it'll it'll shift it the, over the next three months or sort of peak whiskey shift in time yeah. well I can't wait to see what happens to it we will make sure to get our hands on a bottle of that and, and update everybody and you all are welcome back at any point to, to come back and talk about it so Thank you all very, very much for coming. Uh, you know, Chip over Crap Brood. How, how's everybody find you guys? Uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. The the holy. Our Crap Brood. <laughs> Craft Brood uh, Nash. Yeah, I, our, our our Instagram is Craft Brood. Uh, Facebook Craft Brood Nashville, and I think that Twitter is Craft Brood Nashville. Also, Instagram is definitely the best method. I'll go. I'll, 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 People I'll like pictures. That in there, yeah. People do like pictures. Yeah. So Instagram at Craft Brood. That's it. It's our distillery at Instagram and Facebook, and also on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. Folks can find us on Facebook at Dad's Drinking Bourbon, on Instagram at Dad's Drinking Bourbon, on Twitter at Bourbon Dads. Find us on your favorite podcast provider: Apple, Google Play, Stitcher, Podknife, Spotify, iHeartRadio, YouTube, whatever it is, Spreaker. We're, we're on all of them. Please leave us a five-star review. Tell us why you like us. If you don't like us, reach out to us. Tell us why. We're, we're good people. We'll listen to you. We want to know. Uh, but please leave us a review with some words in there. That really helps people as they're going to find new podcasts. Zeke, where else can the folks find us? Uh, most days we're always here in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, and just simply a shameless plug, even though this is a primarily bourbon, rye, whiskey, whatever you want to call it, podcast. Uh, the folks at Craft Brewed have an amazing tap room. I've yet to be in there with less than probably 30 brews on tap. 
I'm not a big beer fan, but I have buddies get into it. So it's the easiest meeting spot for us. I never leave disappointed or have anything bad. And uh, it's always fun to challenge the palate with something you don't normally get yourself into. Anything anybody wants to say before we go? Thanks for having no, us. For, yeah, I appreciate you having us. Thank you. We'll come back and see us again soon. Thanks for signing the Barrelhead that we got from Joanna Tate Monograms on Instagram at Joanna Tate Monograms on Facebook at Joanna Tate. Go ahead and check them out at JoannaTate.com. Thank you very much for giving us that Barrelhead so all of our guests can sign it. And thank you all for listening. We'll talk to you again next week. Cheers. Ciao.